Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the stupendous Stu Skeel, the bombastic Block Party Podcast Network, and the magnificent Michelle Shepardson. Today, we have myself, Ange, along with our newest gnome, Lori, and we're going to skip our get-to-know-a-gnome question because our whole episode is about getting to know her. So, Lori, welcome to Gnome Stew. Oh, yay. Thank you so much. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. I've been gaming for a long time, and I'm originally from Mishawaka, Indiana, and I have a husband who is a gamer, too. He's the one who really got me into gaming as an adult. And we have a 116-year-old house, and we have cats. Ooh. Yes, love kitties. And we also have a garden, and I love to write and read, hiking, spending time with family and friends, and of course, gaming. Awesome. Why don't you tell her what your gamer origin story is? How did you first start playing role-playing games? Oh, goodness. It was last century. And <laughs> I remember... <laughs> Remember we being, can say that. We can actually say it was last century. We totally can. That's awesome about living in both centuries. Yeah. So it was way back in the 1970s, like late 70s, early 80s. And it was at the lake. My parents had a cottage up there. And I had like a neighbor guy. And he taught me how to play D&D. The first edition, of course. And I remember the module, the Dwellers of the Forbidden City. And I remember <laughs> this really scary spider called Lolf. And that's really where I learned about the first time I ever learned about D&D. So going a little bit older into junior high, I played a little bit. And then I just, I guess, lost interest. I had interest in music and school and and so I really didn't get back into it until after college when I had met my husband, Steve. And then we would go and visit a gaming store called The Griffin. It's a pretty well-known one in South Bend, Indiana. And met his friends and his friends became my friends. And he really lured me back over to the gaming side because I was like against it for a long time. I think I was jealous <laughs> of it or something. And it's like, okay, I married a gamer and... It's like he would go to Gen Con when it was in Wisconsin and then when it moved to Indianapolis. And then I thought, okay, can't beat him, join him. So I tagged along and been going to Con since 2010. And then the last couple of years, I started writing about gaming. So I kind of took another step. That's awesome. It's been really fun. How soon after, you know, how, when did you start running games? Because we all know there's that, especially back when you started, I started a little later than you did, but back when we started, it was like, oh, you had to have special knowledge to be a GM. Yeah. So it's like, when did you start running? Honestly, I think I've only ran one very short campaign. I was trying to remember. I'm mostly a joiner. I'm mostly like the gamer. It's, <laughs> for me, it's more fun with the character development aspect of it and the narrative and... For me, it's just more fun to join in. Although I am interested in, in GMing again. I would like to do that again. I read just recently on the Gnome Stew blog about improv gaming. Yeah, that's one of JT's articles he recently posted. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I commented on it, and I just thought, wow, because I did improv in my twenties, and then with gaming, I'm like, that sounds really, really fun, and it kind of takes the kind of the work off of the GM because I like the easy button. <laughs> so, <laughs> so have everybody have a a role in it. <laughs> what style of games do you like to play? I know you've written a couple of articles that have referenced D&D type stuff, but what's the style of game you enjoy? Well, I do play RPGs. I have played Pathfinder. Pathfinder, I like it, but there are so many details in it that are difficult for me. So, but I'm glad <laughs> that I have the experience of playing it. I am kind of a D&D girl, and I think maybe nostalgia plays a part in that. It was kind of funny. I've played like I went back and we played with some friends a few years back and we played the first edition and that is so vastly different than 5e so different i mean you trip over and i mean you can easily your player can easily die (laughs) it doesn't take much and you have very little hit points there's a lot more i think forgiveness in 5e and it was kind of funny like just so interesting playing like the the differences between first edition and fifth edition that could actually be a that's an article in itself. It is. It really is. Um, uh, Jared recently posted on Twitter about how in first and second edition, there were certain things about different character classes that made them also almost antagonistic towards other character classes. Like you couldn't have a rogue in a party with a paladin without expecting there to be some kind of PVP or conflict in the party. And I kind of pointed out that's a reason I came to not enjoy D&D anymore and started playing other games in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And then 3.0, 3.5 did away with a lot of that and 5, you know, 5e, 4e was in there. I enjoyed 4e. I'm not going to ignore it. But 5e <laughs> has even opened up a little further. So it's it's interesting. I think a lot of people get caught up in the nostalgia of first edition, second edition, but I really love the modern era of gaming and what it allows players to do with their characters and their stories. I agree with you. And I honestly think the show Stranger Things, I think that Mm -hmm. really brought back nostalgia, that really brought back a new, I think, generation of gamers. And I remember from the older versions, too, how strict alignments are. Oh, yeah. It's not as much now, I think, unless you're a cleric. And it really depends on your, your GM, too. Yeah, and even then with clerics, it's it's more of a, it's your philosophy. It's not necessarily this, this you know, restraining suit you have to wear or something. It's, it's a guiding principle for the character. And I always had issues with the alignment system and adhering to it strictly, because most people are a little... They're varying levels of different things at different times in their life. And I know it's a game and, you know, okay, we're just modeling this type of thing. But I like having a little more nuance in the game for the characters. Yeah, I I like the fact, especially with the recent years, is that there's more character development. There's more story. And I like the narrative and I like the story. And I, I enjoy that very much. And yeah, I, I think alignment, it's good to have an alignment just as kind of a boundary, but not so strict that, oh, if you make this decision, you have to totally repent and you're out of the game for a few sessions. Yeah. yeah. 
since you play D&D a lot, do you have a particular D&D setting that you like the most? That's a great question. I love the, of course, the dungeon crawl. I mean, a good mindless dungeon crawl where you just, you know, <laughs> hack monsters and get their treasure. That's always fun. No moral ambiguity. Just go in and take the stuff. Exactly. Well, I did that online with uh, when I went to graduate school. We did that through like Champions of Norath and Baldur's Gate. And, and those mm -hmm. are really fun. I like old castles. I like undead. I also like water scenarios too, like on a ship, on the seas, on the ocean. I like different, I like a variety. Yeah. Because then you can have a variety of monsters. You can have a variety of the players are in different scenarios you have to kind of overcome. But yeah, I mean, it's fun also wandering through the city and, and needing the new characters, the NPCs. And yeah. So yeah, I like it all. <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's really times where you just want, a, I just want to pick up a sword and have my character go punch evil in the face. And then there's times where you want that complicated political story of intrigue in some city that you're in that you have to try your character has to try and figure out you know who to support or what to do or how to deal with the situation that's really true i mean it is really fun where i mean sometimes you just don't have the the brain space because of uh -huh. adulting and dealing with real life sometimes you just want to hack and slash yeah the evil characters of course but it's also, yeah, there is a time for, okay, it's kind of fun doing dialogue or it's kind of fun trying to figure it out to maybe hide from the monsters or somehow maneuver without getting into combat. That's also, mm -hmm. using strategy is really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love that stuff. You wrote an article recently talking about your sobriety in relation to gaming. And I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit more about that subject. Oh, sure. Yes, absolutely. I have been sober for a year and seven months, eight months. It'll be two years in September 17. So Good that's really, you. thank you. It's really exciting because yeah, gaming kind of goes along with partying. I mean, it goes along with drinking and it's a social activity. It's a social activity. And especially when you go to a con, I mean, that would be the big thing. I would be rolling my dice and sipping my wine. <laughs> Just kind of almost, I have to sip my Diet Coke and that's totally cool. And so I became sober during the pandemic. We started playing an online game through Zoom. Mm -hmm. Zoom was a lifesaver, I think, for a lot of us. Yeah. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I was not sober. So I didn't really remember a whole lot of the game and the campaign. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> and then later on, in the fall, when I did become sober, I noticed as your brain kind of heals from not having alcohol, I remembered more things. I felt like my character was more interesting. I felt like I could give more to the game. Mm -hmm. And as I grew as a person, my character kind of grew as well. And that was really neat. Do you find it difficult? Like, because the one thing I know a lot of folks who become sober and put that side of their life aside. Do you have issues gaming with other people who might be imbibing? That's a great question. Not really, because the people I game with know my story. Mm -hmm. I'm very fussy of who I game with, because I think for me, there's a level of comfort, but there's also a level of risk when you're playing yeah. with people. And 
I'm a very highly sensitive person. I'm empathic. So I don't really have space in my life for people who may or may not be supportive. So yeah, I mean, I usually sit on a corner or I sit at my husband when I'm, I mean, my husband does not drink around me, um, but I've had friends who have, and that's fine too, because I have to learn that the world does not stop drinking because I did. That was a hard lesson, actually. <laughs> I can but, imagine. Yeah. And I have used like the, the non-alcoholic beverages, so I don't have the FOMO. Mm-hmm. I will have that once in a while. And I personally don't get this, but I know that there are people who like the taste of alcohol. So they like the non-alcoholic versions of things where I'm just like, I don't like the taste. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I only do the non-alcoholic beer. I don't do the non-alcoholic wine because wine is my kryptonite. That was my mm-hmm. drink of choice. So anything yeah. like, even like grape juice, I'm very careful. I mean, anything that resolves a fermented grape, I kind of steer away from. (laughs) It's probably, you know, like anything that makes your brain like think about going into that space and like our sense of taste, our sense of smell is like Mm -hmm. so tied to memory that I can see that being one of those things you just have to be a little careful of. I am hypervigilant because as an alcoholic in recovery, when my guard is down, that's when it happens. It can happen so fast because the thoughts come in like so sneakily. Oh, no one will know. Or, oh, you can have, but no, you can't have one. You you have the bottle or you have too much. And I mean, I had really bad health problems. I mean, I reversed liver disease, luckily, but I had liver disease and that's what made me stop. And so I was, I was scared sober basically. And I'm grateful for that because I mean, the journey has been so much better. And I think it's made gaming better. It's made me more creative so that I can write more. And I'm sitting here, you know, like, not sarcastically, but like jokingly thinking, and it made your gaming even better. It did. It did. You're totally right. I'm sure. It's kind of fun because the more, I mean, I research and the more I've done articles, it's like, man, I could become one of those like rules lawyers or something which I wouldn't (laughs) but I mean it's fun when I can get a detail in on the GM and it kind of like surprises people that's really fun that's awesome thank you for sharing that part of your story with us because I know that's a really personal topic oh you're so welcome I think it's good for people to hear that type of thing but thank you for sharing it oh you're so welcome because with my story if my story helps somebody else If someone's like, oh gosh, maybe I've had too much or maybe I drink too much. If it starts the conversation that maybe people drink a little less or just completely stop, then for me, it's worth it. And and I'm, I am in no way against social drinking. I'm not one of those. I mean, who, you know, I'm not on this like religious mission or something. Mm -hmm. I've just like, for me, it doesn't work. And if it helps someone else who might feel like they're kind of in trouble, just to know that they're not alone. There's a lot of help right. out there. There's a lot of great resources. And, you know, as a as a non-drinker, I generally don't have a problem with people at the table drinking until it hits the point where their gameplay is no longer fun for the rest of the table. And a lot of people don't really know where that line is for themselves. You know, and it goes from having somebody you're really enjoying having at the table to somebody who's like, oh, they're a little far gone you know i can i can remember one incident where i was playing a 
superhero game and somebody playing Superman was great at the beginning of the game, but then had just a few too many cocktails and <laughs> Superman became a very different character by the end of the game. <laughs> yeah, because it does change your personality. And oh my gosh, math for me is enough. Just trying to remember dice rolls and trying to, even though we have like D&D Beyond that helps with that. But I mean, just trying to keep up with all the details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not on your best when you've had too many. And yeah, and people change. I mean, depending on what they've, they've had and depending on how much they've eaten too. So yeah, I mean, and uh, that's got to be really challenging for the GM to deal with. <laughs> so I, I have to confess, I once made the mistake of running a game on St. Patrick's day <laughs> and being a non-drinker, I don't think of these things sometimes. And I ended up with, a table of mostly happily inebriated gamers and the game I was trying to, it was a, it was a monster of the week game. It was all off the cuff, but it was very much not the game I was expecting to run that day. And I learned my lesson because everyone that played in that game happily remembers it and will talk about it and then apologize to me (laughs) because it was just, it was chaos. Oh, wow. It's like herding cats after a round of catnip. Yeah, yeah. I had this great concept. They were a school field trip in Greece, and they were dealing with the Greek furies who were trying to get one of them. And like, it's just the still a great concept that I need to revisit someday. But <laughs> that particular game was chaos. They just remember the cookies. Remember the cookies. They were searching for cookies in game. So you could have basically ran anything and they wouldn't have had a clue. They wouldn't have had a clue. They just had fun. Well, that's good. I mean, hopefully nobody like fell over or fell off the table no, or something. No, no, or... it was it, none of it was that bad. It was just enough that I'm like, oh. And I know like probably every GM has their own kind of code or kind of like what they'll put up with and what they won't. Yeah. And sometimes they'll talk about it in the zero sessions or... I mean, really just depending on the group and depending on the GM Mm -hmm. and where it is. I mean, yep. and the age of the people, too. Obviously, if you have people under 21, not necessarily, especially if you have kids, you don't drink around them. But I mean, yeah, when you are of age, when you are adults, it does become a little more complicated. So what other type of articles can our audience look forward to from you? Let's see. I love words. So there's kind of words with D&D, kind of like the words that I remember growing up, kind of like rules lawyer. That's one. (laughs) And then kind of words that I've heard, but I've never heard before. So I looked them up. So kind of like vocab, kind of like lingo. Yeah. That's one of them. And then another one, kind of a one about gaming with friends versus gaming with strangers. Mm -hmm. That's another one that I'm also working on. That's a pretty important topic. I, I, You mentioned earlier, like you're very careful or selective about the people you play with. And I totally get that. I love going to cons and meeting new people, but I'm also very careful about the games I sign up for because I've had so many bad experiences where you sign up and find out you just decided to spend four hours with people you can't stand, you know, and you have to juggle that gaming with strangers versus gaming with friends at the same time you do want a game with more than just your intimate circle because it expands your horizons about what gaming is 
and what can be done with gaming. That's very true. That is true. Yeah, that will be four hours of your life you'll never get back if it's a bad experience. And luckily, from what I've been told too, that with games, you can walk away if if it's not working for you. Yeah. I would have a hard time with that. I would have a hard time leaving it. I've, I've only done it once and I have had a few other bad experiences. I mean, but those bad experiences are also gamer war stories that can be fun to tell as you're sitting around the table just chatting with folks. So it's like, uh, it also it also teaches you what not to do as a GM or a player. Yeah, it kind of tells you what's good and what's not. And And I've been lucky, the games that I've been in the last few years, I've really had good experiences with the, the GMs. I mean, they've mm -hmm. all been friends, uh, people I trust. And yeah, and I don't mind meeting new people and gaming with new people. I, I, I think the idea still of going into a game, like at a con, even if it's for a few hours, I, I think that just, I don't know, that, that makes me like nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe someday. Maybe yeah, someday I'll get yeah. brave and try it. <laughs> Running games at cons. I've had games where I've had, I've known nobody at the table. And sometimes those are absolutely fantastic games that, you know, just tell me, yes, I'm running games is the right thing to do. And then I've had times where it's like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Why am I spending four hours trying to entertain these people that are just sitting there staring at me? Oh, that's the worst. And you have the proverbial crickets. Yeah. And it's like you're you're like pulling teeth. It's like pulling them out. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's like but most of my most of my experiences running at cons have been good. Probably more bad experiences playing games, which is why I've gotten very careful about what I sign up for at cons. Mm -hmm. But at the same time. I mean, it's it's still a rewarding enough experience that I keep going back and doing it. So, mm -hmm. so you like to run rather than play when you run at like at a con. Um, I actually prefer to play, but I like running enough. Uh, I would probably say I'm probably a thirty seventy thirty percent GM seventy percent player, mm -hmm. just because I enjoy playing. I get more spoons out of playing than I get out of GMing. But I enjoy GMing enough and I enjoy the, the the craft of GMing enough that I still keep doing it. I just, I don't have it in me to do that all the time. I get, I get more back if I'm a player. So you probably do shorter GM, shorter yeah. kind of campaigns. Yeah, generally speaking, except when I end up starting a D&D &D campaign that turns into a huge epic long-term thing. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> I'm in one of those right now. So... So what's your character? The one in my one game, I'm a cleric. And then the one with the pandemic, I'm a rogue. And then back this summer, I'll be going back to playing a cleric. And I don't know if I can go back because I really like being like a stabby, mix, stab, stab, rogue assassin. <laughs> it's like so much fun and you can get so much aggression out. And then now I'm going to be the kind of the goody goody. Well, I'm not a goody goody cleric because my cleric went way off alignment and um, got in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see how much my cleric will behave this summer. Yeah. And I mean, that could be a whole other thing to latch on to with that character is her journey. Is she going to make it back to where she should be or is she going to change and become something else? That's true. That's true. And something to say about the rogue right now, my rogue is captured by a demon and 
they're like hanging out in one of like the nine like hells or something somewhere. So, and it was actually her twin sister who turned out to be a sorceress. So I've never played a sorcerer before. And I decided it was a really fun way to kind of let go of that character and start something new, like, and to help the storyline too. Oh, I love sorcerers. I love sorcerers. Just drop exploding death on everyone everywhere. And, you know. Yeah, and the cantrips are amazing, especially when you get higher level. Oh, yeah. yeah. You don't even have to think about it and bloop, it's done. Yep. <laughs> yep. It, it's, and, and the best part about cantrips is you never end up with that point where your sorcerer, wizard, warlock is completely useless because you've run out of spells. Right. Like the spell cantrips slot. are still useful. Yeah, and they're, they're helpful. And I love the fiery ones. Those are a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome well is there anything else you'd like to tell our audience before we start wrapping up um i don't think at this point i don't think i I really look forward to your articles oh thank you so much it's been really fun i really enjoyed the people at gnome stew are great i think we're pretty cool <laughs> this show is funded by the gnome stew patreon you too can be a patreon backer by following the patreon link on the gnome stew website to the gnome stew patreon this ad is brought to you by New Gnomes Are Us. Looking for a new gnomish author? Well, look no further than New Gnomes Are Us, where we'll bring that new gaming voice to the forefront. If you're enjoying the Gnome Cast, you'll like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. They're a super geek. They're a super geek is an actual play one-shot live stream created by three Bimpok players to highlight the voices of marginalized folks in the TTRPG scene. They feature gender-marginalized GMs and a diverse rotating cast of players. You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Lori, is there anything else you want to give a shout out to? I did recently write a book, and it's called Home, and that is available on Amazon. It's poems, lyrics, and photography based from the pandemic. That's awesome. Thank you. That is really awesome. We will have links in the show notes. I wanted to give a shout out to GM Mastermind. It's a new podcast from Sean Kelly of Gaming and BS, where he pulls together a brain trust of GMs to talk about different topics. The inaugural episode dropped at the end of May, and I got to be a member of the brain trust. I highly recommend giving the show a listen. And again, we will have a link in the show notes. So, Lori, since this is your first podcast episode, do you think we avoided Stu this week? I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.